0: Welcome, or I should say, welcome to the (laughs) Pop Bonsai Podcast. That's right, it's the Pop Bonsai Podcast time again, ladies and gentlemen. I am Travis Ratz, and with me as always is my co-host, Jay Castro. And here on the Pop Bonsai Podcast, we surf the waves of pop culture, bringing you the best sets from pop culture history. And on this podcast, we take a giant idea, a big theme, such as today's theme, which is going to be budget horror. And we take that theme and we look at different medium within pop culture, like albums, films, documentaries, photographs, you name it. We're going to talk about it. And we try to find through lines. We try to find themes. We try to find, you know what I'm going to say, Jay? Dare I say? Truths. Oh. Truths. Right, and like okay. I said, this month uh, this month we actually have two back-to-back horror-themed uh, pop culture sets. Uh, and this first one is called, we're calling it the Budget Horror Set. And this week we're going to be looking at a couple of things on here. We're going to be looking at the 1994 Tim Burton film, Ed Wood. We're going to be looking mm-hmm. at the Cramps album, Songs the Lord Taught Us. And we're going to be talking about Rick Baker, the masterful horror effects artist on on here. So uh, we watched a little interview with him and kind of, uh, which we'll post in our, our show notes. And we're going to talk about Rick Baker and his kind of influence over this budget horror world. So we're going to get yeah. into that in just a moment. But Jay, I got a feeling That's I know right. the answer to this. What are your thoughts on Halloween? Are you a Halloween guy? Uh,
1: <laughs> I'm a huge Halloween guy. Are you a Halloween head, um, Jay?
0: Oh yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, I got the, the big big jack o' lantern size Halloween head. <laughs>
0: um,
1: yeah, I, I mean I've loved horror since uh, since I was a kid. Um, growing up, um, when since I when, you know I saw I remember seeing uh, the first Nightmare on Elm, Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, Evil Dead, um gosh, Exorcists, American Werewolf in London, just you know, all the eighties horror uh stuff I, I grew up with and yeah, I, I've I've been I've been enamored ever since.
0: We were talking I was talking about this uh on another podcast. Uh, which I won't mention the name because screw other podcasts. This is the one, people. This is the, one. This is the chosen <laughs> one. And um, we were talking about horror. We were talking about what is it about the 80s that produced such great horror? I, You know, uh, John Carpenter,
1: maybe. Yeah, um, yeah,
0: I, yeah. Rick Baker, I don't we're talking about today. Rick, <laughs> yeah. Rick Baker.
1: But, yeah, you know, I, I don't know if if it's just because – that was when I first discovered it. You know, I was getting into it. Um, you know, I I'd I'd watch stuff even like like uh those Stephen King movies like Christine and Salem's Lot and Um Carrie and Silver Bullet, all that stuff, like um I, I can't quite find another horror movie. Or another like vampire movie that's as good as um, Salem's Lot or The Lost Boys or um, Near Dark. And I can't find any werewolf movies that are as good as American Werewolf in London, you know, or The Howling. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know. I don't know if it's just me or if it's just that's the art. You know, they came out with that Benicio del Toro um, Wolfman. Uh, like a few years ago, and it was all right. Yeah, yeah. but um, and the, the well, the the Bram Stokers uh, Keanu Reeves movie was pretty cool. Yeah, I Our did boy like that. Tom
0: Waits is in that is in that one. Yeah, right? yeah, 15, 15 episodes. He was ago. Renfield. Yeah, um, so Halloween uh before we get into talk about a bunch of horror i'm i'm a huge halloween head i it's like my, this is my favorite time i walked outside did a little run today it had cooled down here in japan the, the fall smells were in there you know every every state every region of the world has their own kind of fall smells and i i grew up here so it just hit me and like i just was transported back to trick-or-treating and yeah. i love i love everything about it i love i love as a halloween to me and i've mentioned this before halloween to me works on so many different levels as a kid right you get the trick-or-treating you get the costumes right which is Mm -hmm. great and then there is a period uh probably post-puberty to drinking age where halloween loses a bit of its luster and it did a little bit for me as well because you're too old to trick-or-treat Uh, you're too old to go out drinking, uh, you know, all that stuff kind of comes into play, but then you turn 21 or whatever it is you get to college or you're you know you're out of the house and then it becomes this debaucherous kind of holiday you know <laughs> it's like skin tight costumes it's it's drinking till you pass out it's you know house parties that people have decorated out it's going out in the streets and you know they close down streets and uh uh, places in in Phoenix and Scottsdale, they close down streets in these Halloween block parties, right? It, it's it's getting fun, creative designs with your friends and going in group group costumes, and, and it's just great there. And then, I imagine you would know, um, down the road, then you have kids, you get out of that stage, and then you get to carve pumpkins with your kids, you know? You get to introduce them to scary movies, like Halloween would be that time where... Oh, the kids too old to watch the howling, but it's Halloween, so we're going to put it on. So this 5-year-old is going to no, you're too young, but um, you know, so there's there's so many d- Halloween is a holiday that keeps on giving throughout life. You know, yeah. when you're a kid Christmas is great, but then you're you're then as you're an adult you're like you just have to buy people gifts and you're like, oh, and you got to cook and Thanksgiving brings in family and you got to, you know, deal with family dynamics and, you know. And we'll,
1: well, there's more uh... There's going to be an episode on that.
0: Yes, so. <laughs> yeah, more to come on that. Stay tuned for November's uh, episode. So I love Halloween. The weather's perfect. Uh, I love fall colors. I mean, this is this is my time of year. And unlike you, surprisingly, though, I am not a horror fan. I was thinking about this week, and we'll talk about it. When I was thinking about this budget horror and kind of looking at stuff, I realized I'd seen more horror movies than I thought I'd had seen. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because I have so many people in my life that are like you who are huge horror fans. And so I think I compare myself to them where that's like their favorite genre or one of their favorite genres. So by comparison, I feel like I haven't seen much, but I'm also a film buff. So I think I've seen a lot of the seminal works uh, in yeah. there. And there are some that I'm aware of, but I'm just like, this is, this just seems too scary for me to watch. My um yeah that
1: i don't know i i I love the horror bit of halloween but like you i i just love the the atmosphere i love the you know the the decorations and the trick-or-treating and and i still dress up for halloween um i I like you know going out and with my kids and trick or treating and even buying candy and and you know giving them out to kids when they ring the doorbell and stuff. It's just i don't know two important, I, it's two important it.
0: questions um what's your pumpkin carving game like? Are you a purist? Do you go uh, hands free or do you use uh stencils? do you create your own stencils? do you use them from a book? do you print them all online? <laughs> How are we doing this? I, I do a little bit of both. It depends on what
1: I'm what I have time for, like that year. Sometimes I'll, I'll just go freehand. Just butcher and, knife.
0: And, yeah, tri- yeah. Triangles.
1: <laughs> like Michael Myers. Yeah. You know. But yeah, more often than not, that ends in disaster. Um, And we have done stencils in the past. And, and oddly enough, they turn out really well. They do. So, especially yeah, when you, especially it,
0: after you burn it a little bit, you know, and that candles, you know, creates those 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 tight lines the, on the jack o' lantern. So good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If anybody's wondering,
1: stencils are definitely worth it.
0: I used to, you can make your own stencil. What I just do is I take a, you know, uh, a thumbtack and just, you know, you, you you tack them in there. But now I have a pumpkin carving kit. So I'm taking shit yeah, to the I next was level, say. son. I'm taking shit to the next level. Second question, final question on Halloween. Uh, stance on candy corn i love candy corn and i especially love those little pumpkins oh you like the big pumpkin Um, ones with the little green stems on them yeah or white stems that they change them up up. yeah 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 i like a candy corn it took me a long time to develop that taste for it (laughs) and i love it because it's a good candy it could be it could be sold all year round but we limit it and unlike pumpkin frappuccinos and that shit, uh, they really haven't I guess candy corn comes out a little bit earlier each year, but it's not coming out in summertime yet. You know, they're pretty good about I don't know who I don't know who this this the candy corn empresario is of the world. <laughs> but whatever he is, he's got a great marketing strategy because he keeps it exotic. And that's the key for Halloween candies, keeping <laughs> them exotic.
1: And and the thing I, I also like is that it hasn't changed. Like the recipe for candy corn, it still tastes exactly the same. Right. You know, they haven't messed with it. They haven't tried to, you know, cut corners and use more, you know, whatever budget elements in
0: there. Um, they they it's it's the taste is still true. And I'm sure if you I'm sure if you search it, you can find thousands of them. But I feel that it hasn't been it's it's not this kind of kitschy commodity now, so it's not like, oh, here's a, a candy corn cereal, and here's—I'm sure they have <sighs> candy corn shots. I'm sure they have, you know, uh, candy corn whatever it is, lasagna— but for the most part, you know, I don't see like candy corn coffee and stuff like that. I'm sure it exists, but you don't yeah. see candy corn being infused into a lot of things in this in this infusion world that we live in now, where everything has to be infused with some crap. I feel like candy corn is a purist, and so like I said, I don't know who's candy corn empresario is, but he has a tight hold over this industry, and he it's, and he it's reigns, Mr. Brock, <laughs> yeah, Mr. Brock, yeah, <laughs> Brock. He le- he learned his lesson with the jelly beans. You know, he let Jelly Bellies kind of dip into his recipe and all that shit, but not with candy corns. He drew a line.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It and... had to start. The line had to start somewhere. So let me ask you something. Yeah. You asked me about candy corn. Before we get started, I want to ask you one thing, though. What was the thing that well, I'm you always allow dreaded? i not allow it.
0: Sorry. That's it. That's our <laughs> Halloween episode. And we're done. So Thanksgiving's Grand right it. around the corner. <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm. What, what's the worst thing you remember getting in your trick-or-treat bag
0: like what was your least favorite thing when you oh, dumped out your trick-or-treat bag and all the stuff would roll some, out some some asshole every year would try to give you like a <laughs> tiny travel toothbrush yeah right and i was a yep. kid i was not I, I was that was not my game baby like even on a regular day getting me to brush my teeth was a hazard it's like spitting in the face of halloween it's I'm oh, like, yeah. a toothbrush and it oh, come yeah. with that little travel toothpaste sometimes, too. Like, the oh, ones you yeah. poke the, the top on there. And you're like, when you ran out of candy, you're like, I'm going to just squeeze this toothpaste in. <laughs> 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 a little creme de mint here for me to to wash my palate down after all this candy corn. Um, well, I, I can take that a step further.
1: The jerkwad that that put that, the jerkwad dentist that, that did that, the wise ass, he one time he even put his his card inside the box with it. So not only do you get like that, but you you get like a sales pitch too.
0: Oh yeah, and it's, what's nice though is hopefully that card has his address on it in case you forget it when you come back to TP that motherfucker's house later. <laughs> <laughs> TP and the in and Halloween. Um, <laughs> There's gotta be some pun in there, TP. We're gonna toothpaste. <laughs> we're gonna toothpaste this house. <laughs> That's what you do. All right. This is a this is a pop culture uh, uh, special bulletin. All you can, bring in, in kids, children. You shouldn't be listening to this because we've already cussed a couple of times. But if you are bringing in close, listen, to Uncle Travis here. <laughs> Here's what I want you to do. If some motherfucker tries to give you toothpaste this Halloween, you keep it. You get with your friends you compile it and then you go back and you toothpaste that motherfucker's house <laughs> <Yes. And laughs> I'm, talking, I'm talking windows that shit is hard to get off man that will eat up car paint oh yeah all right oh, yeah. the windshield of mercedes yeah, yeah. or whatever And you know right? what if you really if you really are a fan go ahead and put pop dot com on there <laughs> let's go ahead and tp that out right on there pop bonsai xoxo <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> i can't jay it's been like 15 years i can't get a goddamn cavity filled in this town <laughs> we're blackballed
1: uh and go so down, go south of the
0: border our 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 oh, we gotta get a bunch of horror here we i promise you we will but my first uh entree into this halloween's festivities was actually done with you jay because you and i sat down the very end of september the tail end of September. And we said, all right, you know, we've got this website, we've got this podcast, we are the curators of pop culture, what can we give the people this holiday that we love so much? We want to give back, and we don't want to give you toothbrushes, we want to give you the gift of music, of festivity, of enjoyment, of pure wonder, October wonder. So we sat down, and we challenged each other for 30, the 31 days of October, Pop Bonsai, halloween playlist and i put about half songs on there and jay put about half the songs on there and we did we didn't give each other like limits we're just like hey go pick whatever you think halloween songs are bring them back i didn't know what jay picked and he didn't know what i picked and we compiled them all together and we put that playlist on spotify so if you're a spotify user you can just search pop bonsai halloween playlist or you can go to um uh youtube jay put the playlist up on youtube so if you t- search pop yep. bonsai halloween playlist on youtube or you can go directly to our site which has those both uh linked on there and jay i gotta tell you this we came up with a pretty dope ass playlist man i, l- I listened, listened to it listened at to least it. like six times now yeah all yeah. the way through i yeah. listened to it a few times all the way through yeah, yeah. and i kind of we kind of just like hodgepodge them together as far as there wasn't a specific track order, which is a no-no for a playlist. You want it to kind of build. And I think the way we kind of laid it out, I'm really enjoying the rhythms of this playlist. I mean, we've got it's a heavy rock playlist. Because I think rock just screams Halloween, but we got all kinds of genres in there from rockabilly to horrorbilly to just classic rock and roll to like more metal, reggae. Uh, reggae, uh 1950s rock and roll, uh swing, there's a swing song on there. I mean, it, and my most important uh, the thing I like about it the most is it's not the obvious hits. There are a couple there are a few couple yeah. of classic Halloween bangers on there. But for the most part if you feel like you're searching through Halloween playlists and you're hearing the same it was the, as Jay said the monster mash he <laughs> texted <laughs> me he goes there's no monster mash anywhere in sight, right so uh check that out hope you enjoy it Yeah well, we had a lot of fun putting
1: it together and you know like Travis was saying it it's it's so it's so eclectic mm-hmm. you know there's just so much of you know it's not just straight you know creepy goth stuff it's not straight rock you know horror psychobilly it's not straight you know what it's just it's so much and some of the stuff I you know it's so good and I just hope you know people can grab some of it and be like oh I'm you know having a party y'all oh I've never heard this Susie the Banshee song or I've never heard this blaster song and you know
0: yeah um yeah, it, it was good and I think that the problem with playlists, and I'm guilty of this for my own personal playlist, is that they, they come too long where you can just drag and drop. Oh, and yeah. you don't you don't have to make choices. It was really like when we each kind of pick like 15 songs, it was hard deciding which you wanted to go in there. Oh yeah. You know, but I think that's important. I think you should have to kind of agonize over a choice a little bit. Oh yeah,
1: definitely. Um uh you know, like you I'll be like, okay, what am I in the mood for? I'll be like, oh, uh, you know, I'll, how about like uh, uh, like early 2000s indie rock or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'll go in and I'll, I'll just put tons of, you know, uh, like, you know, white stripes, strokes, arcade fire, LCD sound system, yeah, yeah, yeahs. And by the time I see, I've got like 300 songs on it because I'll just drag the whole album in
0: there. Yeah.
1: You know, and I'll well, do that's lazy. Yeah. That's just lazy. So I started
0: limiting all my playlists to 50 songs. Nice. So nice. I have to like just, you know... That's a good rule of thumb. 50 is good, because 50 can get you through a couple hours, it can get you through some long drives, and you really get to go back and listen to those songs. So Yeah. All right, let's talk budget horror here. Budget horror. Let's do it. I got a feeling that the Pop Bonsai podcast is going to cover a lot of horror in our tenure here as a podcast. So we're <laughs> trying to get very specific about things. So when we talk about budget horror... You know, you might think, well, that's a lot of horror movies, and it is. A lot of horror movies are, are, um, you know, shot on a budget. So let's start us off with this question, Jay. Before we get into uh, Ed Wood, um, okay. A lot of very famous directors, uh, from Spielberg to James Cameron to Peter Jackson, started off in the horror genre. Okay, mm-hmm. why do you think? the horror genre is such a popular or an entree genre for directors um a couple reasons
1: uh i read once where um horror movies can be made on a budget and when released at a certain time of year is pretty much guaranteed a hit. Right. Um, people are going to go see, you know, it's like Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, you, you, you make this, not necessarily crap, but low budget, high return. They call it schlock in the biz, right? This is schlock, <laughs> right? So I think that that's what draws a lot of people to it. And um, maybe it's just just imagination. You know, right. uh, um, a lot of those people that you mentioned go on to do, like, fantasy and science fiction, and and it's just kind of a a, a quick,
0: low-cost way to get your foot in the door. Right.
1: You know, that's my that's i my I agree theory. with you
0: completely, and I'm going to add to that. I think that... Because horror movies can be filmed on a budget, they typically take place in one or two key locations, and location traveling and location shooting is eats up a lot of a budget of a film. Uh, but if you're going to give a big studio movie or give a, it doesn't have, or it doesn't have to be a studio movie, if you can give a lot of money to someone to, to shoot a film, you want to see first what they can do with a little bit of money. Right. Uh, and I think that applies in the so many areas of life outside of film directing or even, you know, music production with an album is I'm always I do. I, you know, I run theater programs here uh, in, in Japan and uh, anytime I get into a new theater, I just just got into my new theater here and it's it's dilapidated, like half the stuff doesn't work. And it, it it's just it's just a real mess. So I'm having fun time cleaning that up. And someone's asking me, like, oh, you should ask if they can get you more stuff. And I go, no, nah, no, nah, that's not how it works. You show them what you can do with what they have. And that lets them see the possibilities. Like, you did that with this? Mm. I didn't even know that worked. You got that working? Holy crazy. How did you get that? Well, that's amazing. And then you can come to them and say, okay, well, yeah. Well, here's what. If, you get, if I get this, if I get the money for this, then I can really step it up. And then you step it up. And then you kind of you build a little bit. You do... You show them what you can do with a little, and then you can start asking for things. And I think that applies to this, this horror, this budget horror genre is, it's I mean, interesting, yeah. and it's low stress for the director is because like, well, I got crap, right? So let me show you what I can do with, with, with crap and then turn it into, spin it into gold. And then someone sees that and like, he did that for what? $200,000. What can he do with two, 200 million? Like, yeah, uh, um, that's a that's amazing, you know. Um, Well, yeah, well,
1: well, you know. Also, you're pretty much, you know, you make a horror movie, um, you're pretty much guaranteed an audience because there's people out there that they see a new horror movie, they're gonna watch it. It's like like punk music. You you make a punk record, there's there's people are already out there, they're just gonna buy it because it's a punk record, you know. Um, But yeah, it's 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 right there. It's guaranteed. And another thing, a lot of times, you can do in in horror a lot with so little. Example, like Blair
0: Witch Project. You know, uh, I don't know. Did you ever see that? No, of course. Did of course. You ever see Blair Witch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, and it's same like with a paranormal activity fits in that category too.
1: Yeah, you, you had so little, and it you managed to to redefine the genre yeah. with nothing. The best,
0: the best moments in some of my plays that I've written and put on are because I don't have anything. And so you have to creatively solve how to do this scene and because you're like I, there's you just write it you you write i always say write it in the script figure it out later so you write in the script <laughs> it's it's pie in the sky dreams and you're like okay at some point the a gorilla hand is going to come on stage and pull you off well we're a, a high school theater group we're we going to find we're not going to build a giant gorilla hand so you find creative ways around it and it actually can add to the tension or add to the atmosphere in what you i mean cl- classic example is spielberg and jaws right it's like you can't show the shark so we're gonna find a creative way to do that and that's what makes that film is how he builds tension around that right and so uh, the best successful budget horror films are the ones that don't celebrate their low budget but hide their low budget you know uh, what we're gonna see here And, and and especially even in in Ed Wood as coming up here. And so uh, that takes us to our, our, our kind of main course uh, for this episode, which is Ed Wood, you know, what, what, what year? 1994. 94. Um, this is a Tim Burton movie. And the movie is, if you've looked up anything about Ed Wood, Ed Wood, what is this? Was this real life director, of course, in the 1950s. Uh, he uh, was famous. Uh, so he, he shot, about three or four films in 1950 to early 1960s that are kind of like his core canon then he went on and did a lot of like almost porn erotica horror mm-hmm. films uh but he's known for like three or four films in the in the 1950s and early 1960s two or three of them starring Bella Lugosi uh before he passed away and then something happened and kind of just faded into nothing wasn't wasn't a great uh director wasn't known for anything he was just a, a schlock director he was just he was a he was kind of laughed at but then in 1980 this guy wrote this book called something like the golden turkey awards in 1980 and it was this film book where they kind of ranked these different things about film these these bad films and they summed up at the <laughs> end of the the book the golden turkey in 1980 they said that the worst director of all time award goes to ed wood and Jay, as you know, all any publicity is good publicity. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and so that created this renaissance. If you tell people in the 80s, who were, you know, where kind of cult films started becoming even more popular that there's this director out there who's voted the worst director of all time, they're gonna seek out that director. And I think Tim Burton was kind of one of those people. And so they revisited his films and they found some beauty in the budget uh, three day four day shoots you know this ragtag group of filmmakers led by Ed Wood and so the film Ed Wood 1994 film is almost a beat for beat a biopic about Ed Wood that just takes just about every fact about Ed Wood and rolls it out into this very engaging film
1: yeah yeah um it i just i love the, the the tone of the movie it was it was very old timey mm-hmm. you know um the even the way that johnny depp played the character um was it, it just it, it the whole thing was kind of a, a throwback to
0: to movies yeah, of he, that he, he era. plays them like orson welles's radio personality you know, right. that like coming at you this week is that's a great movie. i us just get out of here. Get in the picture. Yeah. You know <laughs> Yeah, and it it was fun and sad at the same time. And oh it the cast I mean, oh it's my a, gosh. It's a who's who. You've got um, of course, we have um, Johnny Depp playing our lead. You have Martin Landau winning an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor as Bela Lugosi. Yeah. I mean, just transforms. He does Bella Lugosi probably better than Bella Lugosi does the yeah. <laughs> Bill Murray, Jeffrey Jones, um, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. Um, Patricia uh, Arquette. Patricia Arquette. Uh, a great cameo by Vincent D'Onofrio as... Um, um, Orson Orson Welles. Welles. Um, And then, I mean, then if you look at the, the day players on this film, I mean, they are, they went on to be famous character actors themselves. So, I mean, this is a who's who of anyone who was anybody in, in 94. I mean, Tim Burton had a lot of cachet in 94. So, you know, yeah. uh, Hollywood loves to make films about Hollywood, and this was a new. This was uh, the hot director at the time, and you had the hottest star in the world at the time, who was transitioning into more kind of Hollywood independent films, still within the system, but a m- more independent vibe. It was the big, kind of the heyday of independent films done by big studios. So it was just amalgamation of all these 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 elements. And then you have Tim Burton, who just you just tell his, his love for Ed Wood and filmmaking is just over every frame of this film.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely a love letter yeah. to, to that, to all that. Um, yeah, uh, there were a couple of things that I was I was reading that um, I guess uh, they didn't portray Ed Wood's alcoholism. Yeah, uh, I guess quite well because so the movie was based on a book called um, Nightmare Nightmare of Ecstasy: The Life and Art of Edward D. Wood Jr. by Rudolph Gray, and I guess in that in the book they went heavily into he was kind of a dark dude, and a lot of the stuff that was that was in the movie um i guess was just kind of a, a lot of the darker parts were just kind of glossed over um but i don't th- see i don't i don't find a problem with that because like like i said this movie was like a love letter to to ed wood and and his his production team and the movies he made w- why would you include this other stuff i mean it's it's not really supposed to be like a, a true to life kind of thing it was supposed well, to celebrate yeah you know
0: it, it's it's johnny i mean one of the reasons that it works is they they turned edward into a a very likable character uh, and that's what makes it yeah. work because in order to be a true underdog story you have to like the underdog uh um, right and the underdog at this point they they, they did give him what at the time people would have seen as a as a flaw but it's 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 a, a, a kitschy quaint flaw now and even in 94 is that he's a transvestite right he likes to dress in women's clothes and that that becomes like one of the character's most superficial flaws as opposed to making it alcoholism which is this dark thing and we have most of the film is his relationship with Bella Lugosi, and Bella Lugosi is dealing with his own morphine you know Addiction. So if you were to piggyback Ed Wood's alcoholism with his Bela morphine addiction, it's just it's just too dark. And it it, it loses the joy and the celebration of 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 what we're talking about. These this ragtag group going out and making a film under budget, under guns, under, you know, experienced. And that really is that underdog story celebration of Hollywood as more than a condemnation on on Hollywood.
1: Right, right. You know, something interesting that I, I was reading also is, I guess, one of the things that attracted Tim Burton to this script was that he saw a parallel between Ed, Wood, Ed Wood's relationship with Bella Lugosi as, as Tim Burton's relationship with uh, uh, Vincent Price.
0: Oh, okay. Um, I am Vincent he, Price. The, <laughs>
1: because he kind of uh because i think if i'm not mistaken edward scissorhands was vincent Price's last movie i don't
0: know um, it might be
1: yeah i think it was and so he ca- kind of had like a similar you know like mentor you know relationship with with him and i don't know i thought that was pretty interesting i, I never would have picked that up
0: oh i i didn't know that either yeah that i that I would have watched it through a different lens. I mean, the, the relationship between uh, Ed Wood's character and Bella Gossi's character in this film is, I, I, one of my favorite s- scenes that, that travels um, in this is when, when, we're, when uh, Ed and, and Bella Gossi first meet in the coffin, and they had that, that long conversation ride, and then the, the conversation in front of his house where he's talking about the blood. Women like the blood you know and (laughs) then you know it's it's just this great and you just see in 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 johnny depp's face as the actor the admiration that he has for Bella lugosi he's just so awestruck by this character on here yeah
1: he, he it was really interesting the part where um i forgot who he was talking to who ed wood was talking to and and he said if i pass judgment on people i wouldn't have any friends Yeah, And that was so profound. Like, you you know, because you had Sarah Jessica Parker's character who played his girlfriend in the beginning. And she said, you know, she's always making fun of his friends. You know, all these dope fiends and freaks. You know, oh, the usual band of dope fiends and freaks. And he didn't judge you. He didn't judge people by their flaws. He just, you know, I guess if you were, if he saw goodness in you or whatever friend he would let you into his yeah. circle
0: i think he was talking to the the maybe this the baptist guy who was who was uh uh financing the movie at the end oh but, yeah, um, yeah yeah there is yeah. to go on that there's this great scene you talk about that patricia arquette's character his his girlfriend and wife later in in the story um accepts his friends and there's this great shot where they all get in the car and it looks like a scene from Rob Zombie's Dracula video you know (laughs) you just have all these freaks like one of us one of us and they're all kind of mashed in this car you have uh Vampyra or Vampirella and you have um uh god what's the the uh, george george the animal steel character in there uh and then you have you know the bill murray uh foppish character and then you have the psychic uh 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 guy Criswell in there who are all real characters and all real people in edward's life but when you put them all in one car you're like this is the band of misfits to beat all band of misfits yeah i want to talk to you about uh, speaking of budget horror one of my favorite things so i I watched this earlier in the summer and then i watched it again this week so earlier this summer i was just watching it as a uh a johnny depp vehicle and um but this time i was watching it based on our theme and really i love the scenes where he goes about designing his movie around what he has and it was um robert Rodriguez talks about this in when making the first Desperado movie, or not Desperado, um, uh, El Mariachi. El Mariachi, yeah. And he talks about, like, where did you come up with this? And he goes, well, I had a guitar, I had a van, and I had a turtle. So that's what I shot. And it's all about looking at the production value you have and then shooting your film around that. So, for example, let's say you have access. Let's say your uncle works at a, a pool and he's the night guard at it. Well, shoot, that's a cool set, uh, a, a pool, a big old pool at night. So your story is going to be around a pool at night. So you might have a story, so you might change a scene now that happens in a graveyard. Now it happens in a pool at night. Or if you don't have a story, you're going to write a story around a pool. Um, yeah. And yeah. That's, that's a great way. I, I've kind of taken that to heart when I start projects. I'm like, well, what do I have? Hmm. Well, I've got this crazy chandelier. It's this everything else in my uh, that, that I was left with in the, the theater apartment is shit. But there's this great chandelier, and it's oh it's so awesome. All right, this is going to be in the play. Let's let's build a scene around a chandelier. And Johnny Depp's character in this does that. Ed Wood. Yeah. What's he got? He has access to stock footage. Great stock footage. So he uses that. What's he got? He's got access to a giant rubber octopus. So now there's a giant <laughs> o- rubber octopus in, in the scene. And I think that is a really important part of budget horror filmmaking is you have to take a look at the locations you have access to and you have to take a look at the major uh, props that you have that are going to add production value and you make them a part of your film.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that's like the scrapper way. Yeah. You know, that that's... That's how you do it, Um, and you know it's funny. One of our subjects is is uh, Rick Baker, but I was watching an interview with Rick Baker on uh, uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, The big podcast dude, the the cage fighter. Oh yeah, Joe Rogan.
0: He has like an hour and a half. yeah. yeah. Podcast with him. Yeah, yeah. And and he was
1: talking about like he asked him who his favorite makeup artists are and and he was talking about like all those old universal monsters and he was talking about how um boris karloff yeah the wolfman and how he said they they didn't know what they were doing they were doing this they were just scraping stuff together and whatever looked good he said most of the time it what works the best is when you're limited when you have to use your creativity and, and make it work he said that's that's most of the time that's when it turns out best i, yeah. I thought that was really oh, I interesting.
0: Absolutely, i absolutely agree money can be a curse sometimes on films i mean we see it happen all the time we have these big intellectual properties they throw a lot of money at them and then when you take someone's money you also have to take their opinions. And that's right. the problem with it. That is a problem with any kind of enterprise. If you take someone's money, you have to take their opinions. And we see this in Ed Wood at the end when he gets involved with the Baptist Church to fund uh, his um, the uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space, his, Ed Wood's, in quotes, seminal work, right? Uh, and <laughs> he had the, he had to do... He He's he's frustrated by how uh, they want to come in and change things. Then he has that epiphany moment where he has the, the conversation with Orson Welles. Uh, and Orson Welles is like, don't make their dreams. Make your dreams. This is your, your script, your movie, so it should be your dream. And that's the problem with taking someone's money. Is you have to share your dream. And so when you take something like a new Ghostbusters movie, I mean, that's a lot of people's dreams and there's a That's, lot of people's opinions yes. on it, you know.
1: Right. And and you know the funny thing is I think Tim Burton's career suffered from that. Oh, absolutely. You know, like like the high the bigger budget these you know when
0: he did Planet of the Apes, Willy Wonka, um, Alice in Wonderland.
1: Yeah, just I mean uh, I'm sorry to anybody that likes it but I found those movies pretty much unwatchable <laughs> yeah
0: make your own like take that take that absurd surrealist tone that you like but create your own characters you know yeah with that yeah neil gaiman's really good about that as a writer is is gi- writing giving homages to the style and tone of storytelling and creating like oh Coraline, or you know stardust you know it's he's not he's like oh i want to work on that property he's like no i'll I'll take that feeling and i'll just create my own story with those those characters with my own characters
1: yeah yeah yeah. he's
0: man's a genius yeah yeah no he's great he's great um yeah so with ed wood we have the making all his there's a lot of the film is revolved around his relationship with Bella lugosi and then the other part is him trying to get these films made and then the other part is him dealing with his cross-dressing uh, and his personal and how that affects his personal relationships uh i love all the scenes is a vampire or vampirella in this the actual uh, i think it was vampire vampire i love those those style of we're gonna watch the horror movie of the week you know vampire like she, she actually sued she did she She actually sued Elvira in the eighties because uh, she believed that Elvira took her, her, her shtick. And she did really, but she lost that case. But I love that, that welcome to the, the uh, hour of horror, you know, Vincent stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I don't know if you watch um, uh, uh, what's his name. Uh, Joe Bob Briggs. Uh, he's another horror host um, that was around when I was again. He's back now, um, I, I believe, on Shudder. Um, and uh, um was another horror host. But yeah, there, there's been a few. And yeah, and they usually host like the, you know, the schlockiest of the schlock. <laughs>
0: but yeah. But yeah. I'll, I'll leave it before we start talking about Rick Baker. I will say another element of, of budget horror that is key. Um, is the attitude of the director, your key component. Anytime you're working with scraps for a budget, you have to love the project enough that you have to be the most positive person on the project. And that's one of the things mm-hmm. that, at least the movie portrayed Ed Wood as being, as being super positive. And when you're working... And under a budget, it creates a tremendous amount of stress. You're dealing with actors. I've dealt with, I hate dealing with actors. They are even like young <laughs> ones, are like pre Madonna's. So I'm like, you've never acted in anything before. Why are you being a little pre Madonna right now? And <laughs> because they're they're being put in uncomfortable situations. You know, like at one point, there's a great scene where he asked Bella Lugosi to move the octopus arms. Bella Lugosi has to get into this. Cold water He's this 74 year old man and he has to lie down. He has to struggle (laughs) and move the octopus arms and you can't be like, just do it, man. You have to be like, it's going to be great, Bella. Come on, get in there. Just move around. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. Oh, he's, you know, he's strangling you. He's strangling you. Uh, you have to make your attitude has to fill in for the lack of money. Your attitude has to be like, you've been given everything you want and you're making it exactly the way you want damn the money and edward does such a great job of that
1: yeah you're right that's a really great uh uh, attribute or trait that he had that not only was he positive um for for his cast but he also like he went out there and sold like he went out there and he 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 was Getting money from anywhere he could, and it's it's interesting that 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 I just I was thinking about this, but you know I was I was um, uh, watching a, a I think it was an old Beatles like a Beatles documentary, and there was someone on I can't remember who it was, but they said
0: Paul, who's your favorite director? My favorite director is Ed Wood, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and they they were saying why do you think the Beatles made it? You know, he he said there was dozens of groups that were doing the exact same thing out there. Why do you think? Because they, he said, because they were out there hustling. You know, they were working. They were the hardest workers. You know, they travel to play shows. They they do two to three shows a day, a night. You know, and, and those were he said those were the bands that made it, the ones that were always out there, the hardest working ones, the Stones, the Who, the Beatles. You know, he said those guys were always out there. Always out there selling yeah. their stuff.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, you know, there's something to be said about that. About that hard work ethic. That's a perfect segue into uh, Rick Baker, who actually did the makeup for Bela Lugosi uh, in *Ed Wood*. Uh, we watched this little half an hour document. There's a lot. There's actually, I was actually surprised by how little stuff there was on YouTube with Rick Baker. There's like little four minute snippets and of course you have the, a couple of big podcasts. But as far as I want to see I want to see Rick Baker talk about his stuff. So Jay found one, an interview, I think it was called Rick Baker Legacy and Something. So it's got Legacy in it. It's it's in the show notes and it's in it's on our website if you want to check it out. It's about 30, 39 minutes, and it's actually him in his warehouse. So you get to see him talking about his actual stuff, showing you how stuff works. But to piggyback on what you just said about hard work, I think when we look at Rick Baker as this as the master of of horror effects, it all comes down to hard work. He just worked oh, yeah. harder in the documentary right. they he talks about going over to England and they were doing um was it an ape movie at that point or was it mm-hmm. I mean, or maybe it was american werewolf i don't think it was american werewolf alone i think i think it I was uh uh oh it was uh
1: tarzan tarzan. It was the tarzan yes
0: it was the tarzan great graystone he was doing Greystone, the tarzan movie and he said that um you know he's he had a whole english crew he brought over a couple of boys from la but it was all english crew and you know around five o'clock they would sign off and go down to the pub and Rick Baker would be in there because he was so overwhelmed. He didn't know how to do it. Uh, It was just this kind of impossible task, which he over delivered on. And he would be up there until midnight or early in the morning. And the English crew could not understand his work ethic, you know, because in Hollywood it's like, I got, I got one chance to break in. I got to work hard than everyone else. But in these English workshops, they were like, no, this is our gig. It's just the gig, man. You know, (laughs) (laughs) Stop working so hard. Put the monkey down, Rick. <laughs> Rick, come to the pub. Have a few laughs.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it, and you know, again, what, like we were saying, he pretty much revolutionized that industry by necessity. You know, he 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 would ma- he made a lot of his own robotic and puppet creations. Based on the shot they were going to use, based yeah. on what the 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 creature was going to do in that particular shot, it was all homemade. He had nothing to go off of yeah. you know
0: if you were going to describe maybe I jumped into it too soon before setting up who Rick Baker is if you had to set up who Rick Baker is for someone who who had no idea what would you what would you what would you tell them jay uh, he definitely one of
1: like the early Hollywood special effects pioneers, right. You know, yeah. like, like Roy Harryhausen, you know, with, with the clash of the Titans and the, the stop motion uh, stuff. I mean, I, I would put Rick Baker right there.
0: Yeah. He, uh, Rick, he, one of the things that's really impressed about Rick Baker is if you look up his filmography of the stuff he did either makeup on or special effects or was the special effects designer, I mean, the list goes on and on. It is all the hits, and not just horror. Right? I mean, you know, he does does everything. You know, I, I was looking at the list today. I'm like, Rocketeer. Damn man, Rick Baker. <laughs> Rocketeer. Um, well, he did. Um, he did uh,
1: uh, Ed Wood. Yeah. And like we were saying, and he won an Oscar for it. And I read this interesting little factoid. He said that he was going to pass on Ed Wood, but he wanted to do it because he was such a huge Bell Lugosi fan. He thought another makeup artist was just going to screw it up.
0: Right. So he
1: wanted to do it just for Martin Landau so that he would look the, you know, the best Bell Lugosi that, that could be portrayed.
0: Yeah. That's really interesting that, that he chose that one out of just respect and, and cause you know, he was, uh, he talks about his his mom buying him like a horror magazine and just going through that stuff at an early age. He talks about his his love of Boris Karloff and his 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 makeup designs that he would do himself. He still says that stands up as some of the best makeup jobs, even though it was done in the early part of the century. And yeah. uh, he the other reason that he chooses jobs when he talks about the jobs he's he's chosen uh, is. If there's something new he thinks he can add to it, you know, as opposed to sometimes he'll talk about like, oh, I don't want to do that because, I mean, the seminal work has already been done on that and I don't have anything to add to that. And that sounds like a musician talking about their craft or a director talking about their craft. You wouldn't think that sounds like someone like a makeup person but that is it because it is a craft just like anything else it's it's an amazing craft and i love his approach to it it's like well i i if i don't have an idea for that that's going to be done better than it's ever been done before and maybe he executes it and maybe he does it better than it's ever been done before which is the case for a lot of his work but maybe he doesn't but it's the attempt that that really gra- gravitates him to him to certain projects
1: Yeah. You know, in a sense, I find that 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 whole mindset kind of humble, Mm. you know, you know, he he sits there and and he'll, you know, if I heard you right, he'll 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 look at something and say, I have nothing to add to that. You know, instead of somebody like that would be a little more arrogant, would be like, I can do that better, you know, kind of thing or or, you know. It, it, it It's a person that wants to like, like challenge himself for no other reason other than his own,
0: um, his own gratification. Yeah. It's his own like, can I do this? And that's, that's the way you've got to approach stuff in life is not like, oh, I can do that. Pay me money. It's got to be like, if you want the product to be good, it's you, you almost can't know you can, can do it. I mean, the best things that the things I'm most proud of in my life uh, that I've done creatively are things I jumped into having no idea, no idea about. And you're like, I don't know if I can do this because there's there's no failing at that point, because if it if it's not well received, you're like, well, I didn't know what I was doing anyways. But but when you jump into something and you don't know if you can do it you're trying hard to yourself to prove that you can't. So you put in more effort, you go above and beyond. Oftentimes you spend your own money on it. You know, unfortunately we've all started projects. where like, well, oh, I gotta, I gotta get this. Cause I, I gotta have this for my project or whatever it <laughs> is. Uh And those always tend to be the best career choices. Um I, I didn't want to be a teacher. I got thrown in the classroom and I, I, I didn't know what I was doing. And I thought at any moment, Someone was going to come in and, and call me out as a charlatan. So I just worked harder just to cover it up. And then you do that long enough, and then you look back, and you're like, oh, shit, I am this thing now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a director, or I'm a, a whatever, fill in the blank. I'm a horror makeup artist. You're like, I faked it for so long, and I was so afraid of getting caught out or someone saying you can't do this anymore that it's worked my ass off, and eventually I became that thing.
1: Yeah. That's interesting that you said that. I, I always, I saw, you know, not to go off the beaten path here, but I was always into music from as a, as a young kid and I always liked music journalism and music writing people like, like David Frick and Lester Bangs and Kurt Loder. And, and I'm like, and, and my friend, started a, a music blog and and he and I was sort of envious of that. I'm like, oh that's awesome. And then a few years later he asked me to join. I'm like, I can't do this. You know, and, and I we wrote records, we met people, and after 10 years I I quit and I had people emailing saying, wait, what's gonna happen to I am an issue it's like an institution. Mm-hmm. And
0: I'm like Really? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Like, I didn't know he built anything that great, but you let, me know, you, it's, let, it's, let me tell nice. you something,
0: Jay. These people aren't your friends. These people tell sanctimonious stories about the genius of rock and roll, and they will ruin rock and roll and everything we love about it. Swill merchants. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's it's it's so true, and it it, it was really cool seeing Rick Baker in this document this little interview they have he goes through and he shows you like how he's really big into monkeys that's one of his things is like how to make yeah. a realistic ape right and yeah. what you have to combine from different monkeys to have that and how their fingers move and it's so detailed and he really has an eye for if we can't get this detail to work the whole thing's going to fall apart and it might be the way a <laughs> finger moves you know, and that's how he's going to evolve it. Whereas someone like Ed Wood would be like, cut, print, and rolling. You know, right. if the guy's glove, knows the if the glove falls <laughs> off in the middle of the shot, Ed Wood's gonna <laughs> is going to roll it, you know. But for Rick Baker, it's like, no, this eyebrow needs to get all the way to the top of the forehead, and we're not getting it right. And that's that's the key to this. He's looking at these elements, and he picks like four or five elements that have to be on point, whether it's the Uh-oh. way that blood Gurgles out of someone's throat, or it's the way that skin melts, uh, or or all this stuff like that. It has to work. And he also says, which is respectable, he wears all the prosthetics and stuff himself, or at least most of them himself, so that way he can feel how comfortable or uncomfortable it is for the actor who's going to use them. Which is really something that people don't maybe aren't as considerate in Hollywood all the time, and they don't really think about now. This this is this is going to be a tool that an actor is going to use and if it's going to break constantly or if it's i mean that just happens but if it's going to break constantly it's it's going to just not be worth worth anyone's time
1: yeah i mean plus if it's going to make an actor um uh uncomfortable you know that'll probably compromise shoots takes as well yeah you know so that's but he seems like a very soft-spoken kindly man he's like a mensch he's a
0: real mensch this guy is great he's so yeah like you said he's very soft-spoken he's he's excited to show off his this interview takes place before a big auction where a bunch of his stuff is going to be auctioned off and he talks about this in the joe rogan podcast too he's just like i've just collected so much stuff and what i found interesting about his art form is that it doesn't last forever that yeah. la- that latex just can't – unless you're really preserving it in temperature and moisture control, it's just going to deteriorate. And you saw that with some of his props, which were already malfunctioning and deteriorating. How much of his work is already lost to time because it just wasn't preserved? So his thought is, right. well, I have so much of it, I can't take care of it in any kind of realistic way. So let's get it into the hands of fans who are going to cherish and love it take care of it and pass it on and keep it alive as long as possible. Like those gremlins, if I kept that gremlin in a humid a humid uh, Japanese house, that shit would be gone in a week, man. It <laughs> would be, be molded up and, and all that stuff. But like, if you put it in the hands of someone who's going to pay $40,000 for that damn gremlin, they're going to put that in a temperature-controlled room, they're going to share it with people, and eventually they're going to pass it on or, or sell it off, and it gets to be in someone else's hands. And I, I really like his his take on that
1: yes yes i mean he if i didn't know any better i would think he's you know really into like uh healing crystals and energy uh you know vortex like he seems like a real like new agey sedona
0: but when you type when you see him in his older movies like when you see like him in some of the uh uh night living dead or the um uh, Dust Till Dawn, when he's like, uh, what's his, like, come on, sex machine, when he's, you know, he's, he's like a biker type guy, he's got like greasy hair, he's got tattoos, so I think the new agey thing has come out, like, the last 20 years, I think in the 80s and 90s, he was like a, like a motorcycle guy, I think he like was a like Hellraiser. A, yeah, yeah, but, or at least his style was,
1: yeah, well, yeah, he still has a, just like, really long, white ponytail, you know, yeah. but, yeah, no, he's a, he's a character for sure, and and um, so I, I saw he had a book which I I would
0: like to pick up. It's a pricey book. He's got some stories. Yeah. Oh, is, uh, is it pricey? Is it, it's because I believe it's a photo book. So you it's a uh, large, huge volume coffee table format story oh, book. So awesome. it, it, It's a piece. It's not just a book you pick up, and it's not something you would certainly probably want to read on a Kindle. I mean, you could. For cheaper, but it's it would be like part of your collection, you know. So I'm not going to find that on Audible. Yeah, is that what you're saying? I mean, you might be able to no. hear the story. <laughs> I mean, I it's I did that for the Beastie Boys uh, story, oh, and it, it really needs to be in print, you know.
1: Yes, I I yeah, that's a story for another time. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree, man.
0: I totally agree. Yeah. We were, you're were talking about them being as characters, and our last section here certainly. As we move to our, our our budget horror music, our album, these are certainly some characters in here. So I'll, I'll go ahead and have you introduce the uh, the album that we mentioned earlier. So um I couldn't think
1: of anything that would go go as well as as the Cramps yeah. to, to put that musical cherry on this
0: mm-hmm.
1: and. I, you know, I was struggling. You know, I was like, Well, gosh, I wonder what's what what record they've got. You know, quite a few, and we went with a debut record, uh, their debut album called uh, Songs the Lord Taught Us. Is <clears throat> their, like I said, their debut record came out in 1980 on IRS Records and produced by um, Alex Chilton of Big Star Box Tops, and again. It, Cram- how, okay so how would how would you describe the Cramps to somebody who's never heard them
0: Well without using the terminology that they I think they kind of invented the term psychobilly I mean that gets into you know music journalism you know that it's hard to determine who decides a label but you know they I think they coined the term or at least get sometimes credit for coining the term psychobilly um they are okay I would say the Cramps are a theatrical punk band heavily influenced by 1950s rock and roll novelty records and horror
1: yeah yeah
0: it's it's definitely
1: yeah they they got they got like the 50s 50s
0: you know uh elvis presley eddie cochran swagger but when elvis and eddie Cochran were the subculture
1: Right. It's like they only right.
0: pulled the subculture bits out of them. It's really right. interesting. They they were very careful to not incorporate the sheen of what became the Elvis Presley uh, rockabilly um rock and roll sound and style. They took the subculture moments of that, the early stages of that.
1: Yeah, not the the gospel. Yeah, <laughs> the gospel
0: yeah, yeah. Rit- but yeah, and 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 they got they
1: combined it with even like like sixties like garage band energy like Sonic
0: yeah. and the Monks yeah and, they're huge Sonic fans they talk about them a lot
1: yeah and 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 I in almost with like a like yes horror but it's like a budget horror almost like like a Rocky Horror type thing you know I I kind of see Lux you know kind of like a like a com- combination of of like Tim Curry's character in Rocky Horror Picture Show, you know. Well, well
0: let's talk about that. For those of you who are not familiar with the Cramps, so the Cramps have an ever they had well before they stopped playing because uh, Lux passed away. Um, is they had an ever evolving kind of backing band. I mean, if you look at their members, yeah. this, this thing is as is, is constantly changing. But the two core uh, here are their names that they have uh, taken on. You have Lux Interior. And then you have Poison Ivy, and they eventually married, or I don't know if they were married from the beginning, but they've been a, a couple throughout the the rise of the of the band. And it's uh-huh. really their vision and yeah. their taste um, that make up the effect of the cramps. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: definitely their their um, their show, their their idea, their creation, and. They're very careful to preserve an image of that. Like we were like what Travis and I were talking about um, almost, I don't know, almost to a fault, some would say, but I think that that whole image that they work so hard to preserve just added to their, their mystique and, and to the allure of this group. Mm-hmm. Um, it, cause I, it's something that a lot of rock bands just don't even bother with anymore.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. You know? you know, to, to, to bring them in why I think this is a, a, a good pairing for our budget horror that you picked here is this applies to the, the horror stuff we were talking about earlier, like Rick Baker and, and, and Ed Wood. I think that the cramps, and this is a good approach to, I think, art in general at least in my opinion is instead of looking at something something that's polished and trying to emulate that like let's say you grew up uh i feel like Silverchair is a band that grew up liking other big bands and like we want to sound like uh, pearl jam we want to sound like this and so they had some good songs but they're just they're just mimicking something that is currently successful mm. what People like the Cramps and Ed Wood and Rick Baker is, they look to the past and they look at what was, what worked, but what could be elevated. So it's taking things from the past that worked, but maybe not work now, and elevating them and bringing them to the now. It's like, okay, people don't do that anymore because that was the old way of doing things. But what if we don't throw that out? What if we just take that and elevate it so it becomes... The now, as opposed to looking at something and imitating, let's look at something and elevate um, from the past, right? So, I think yeah. I think that way of cobbling, and that requires having taste, you know. And I think that right. Lux and uh, Poison Ivy, they have, I certainly their tastes are very similar to our tastes as far as the things they look to for inspirations, the things that they find are just generally downright fucking cool. Uh, I think that if we sat down with uh, Poison Ivy, we would be turned on to a bunch of stuff that is right in our wheelhouse. That we <laughs> we, we uh, are like this. It's like you. It's like you're my sister. You know, like it's like we grew up together. Mm-hmm. Like you, you love the same stuff. And so I think that's an important thing. They're taking early sounds that really weren't being used in the eighties very much. And no. they were, they were bringing them back and elevating them or maybe not even elevating them, but using them to in their own kind of hodgepodge. Yeah.
1: Um, in fact, I was reading this art, I think it was on, on NPR. It was, mo- it was mostly an article on poison Ivy, but they were talking about how they would go to Nashville and go to, uh, like the record stores there and buy all the, like the, um, uh, out of print singles, like obscure fifties rockabilly singles, and nobody wanted them.
0: Yeah, and
1: they they said they'd buy it just boxes full of them for like next to nothing. And, and um, this is just another little tidbit. I, I I thought this was really interesting. How when I saw an interview with George Lucas when he was making American Graffiti, and this was the eighties had a huge like fifties rock and roll. Uh, a moment you know with with uh with, i think starting with american graffiti like happy days greece and so george lucas was talking about using those old 50s songs for american graffiti and he said his production team were trying to chase down the artists and you know asking for permission. So, and someone's like hey why don't you just buy these songs why don't you just buy the license for them? they're they're next to nothing nobody likes this stuff anymore so he did so he went and like bought the the rights to all the songs that he used and wow. Consequently, you know, even diner was one of those things that got wrapped up into the like the 50s. So whenever anybody wanted those songs, they had to, you know, pay George Lucas. So wow. he made even more money off of that.
0: <laughs> yeah, that probably more than the actual he made off the film. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Huh, but yeah no, no, sorry no. That, that i just got off no the, the, no that's great uh i both the cramps are also thrift store kids like they're right. big into repurposing fashion and they have a really cool look both for their stage and their magazine stuff it's all like really cool and but none of it is designer it's all repurposed thrift store stuff yeah, it's uh, all very homemade looking. Yeah, all of. their shows are very theatrical and out there, but it's all done on the on on a dime. Yeah, the the
1: thing that was so awesome about them also is that you can tell they were very true to themselves in the in the sense that you can tell they really liked this stuff yeah. and they liked it like like we were just talking about when nobody liked it. Right. You know, they 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 had a vision they used it and people it was people that had to catch up to it and arguably a lot of people haven't caught up to that yet yeah yeah but they did what they were going to do and they let other people figure it out
0: right and they had a very prolific career i mean they were making music for 30 years yeah yeah it worked it so worked. Let's talk about this album. What are some of your standout tracks on on um, uh, this? Uh, I always forget the name of it. Um, Songs the Lord Taught Us? It, yeah, thank you. Songs the Lord Taught Us.
1: Let me get in here and so I don't miss anything. Well, obviously, Garbage Man. And um, for that, I think, now that I think about it, I think Garbage Man was the first cramp song that I ever heard, um, but it wasn't off of this record, it was off of um, the compilation, gosh. yeah. The compilation one, well, the, with like the, the, the puss head, the puss head design. Hold up, I don't remember what the name of the, the record is off my, the top of my head, yeah.
0: That's I have a problem with the cramps is i don't so growing up listening to punk music, I didn't get into the rock of uh, the psychobilly side of it until I was older uh I didn't uh-huh. know much many of kids in my punk scene weren't into this rockabilly. sometimes an odd song would find its way onto a punk rock compilation that was psycho you know a psychobilly song would find their way on a punk rock compilation, and it was always the cramps when it was uh-huh. you know, the horrors or the cramps you know something. Something like that. So you, you, I only got a little taste of it, and it wasn't until I was in my twenties that I was actually going and listening to Cramps albums. And so I always confuse, like, what song, which, which album is this Cramp song on? <laughs> so yeah, so there's there's a few covers on there, but
1: yeah, definitely like TV Set and Garbage Man uh, stand out for me. But like Rock on the Moon as uh, a cover, the, uh, the Fever is a cover um strict nine as a as an old sonics like we we're talking about the sonics um tear it up as a uh, johnny burnett trio is it um, that was uh-huh. i put that down
0: as one of my favorite tracks on this i thought that was there oh but it's
1: a cool song though yeah I mean, it's
0: it's it's one of my favorite tracks my 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 standout track on this one I, it might be one of the first Cramp songs i heard was i was a teenage werewolf that oh song. yeah Fucking rips, dude. That (laughs) song rips. I still like. I put the top down on the convertible and just cruise around to "I Was a Teenage Werewolf," dude. I feel so damn cool. (laughs) I feel so damn cool, man.
1: Yeah, there's just there's something about this. I okay. Out of anybody that really gets, and I, I don't want to sound like a snob by any means, but.
0: No, there's Jay. Please that, tell they, us what do people need to get about the cramps?
1: No, no, I'm just saying people that like that are into like rock and roll, and i would not like rock, you know, where you know the buck stops at Nirvana.
0: Yeah, but more but the like, rattle, like rock the rattle roll. part of it. You gotta like, what this? The, yes, the cramps yes. are like there's rock and roll, and then you know, you know, there's like that. The, it used to be rock rattle and roll, right? And it, the cramps fucking rattle, dude. They rattle, <laughs> man. And that but that sound, I think people out there, I think you know what I'm talking about. And that's the sound that makes it cool, dude. It's got a fucking rattle, man.
1: It it definitely has a a swagger. Yeah, to it. that's um, the bass.
0: That's those are those that 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 rockabilly bass lines that they put down in 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 their their songs. It's just it's got that. Dun, 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 dun. It's so good.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, but anybody that's. That's into like older rock and roll or, or, or you know, punk or any kind of like counterculture. I've never yeah. met anybody that dislikes the cramps. Yeah. I mean, it's so terrible. Ever. Mean,
0: everyone's kind of grown up on Tarantino movies. And I don't think he's ever used the cramps in any of his movies, but he's used everything but everything cramps adjacent has been used in these yeah. movies, you know. Um, like Death Proof is all, you know, that whole soundtrack comes just. From this the coasters and all that stuff we were talking about earlier it's great on there one of the things that makes the sound in this in this i didn't look up about how they produced it or where they produced it or what kind of budget they had or what label they were that this was on um and i think some of the the uneven eqs like sometimes lux's voice is is It's it's just a buzz almost in the song. You know, it's you know, I was I'd love to sit here and regurgitate lyrics at you, but you don't listen to the cramp songs for lyrics, really. Uh, I mean, it's a byproduct. It just goes along with it. And if you were to really I don't I don't think I could tell you very many cramps lines off the top of my head because they don't it's not up front. It's not what's up front on the track. And oftentimes now we see that as a production value thing. Like, oh, you didn't have the production value to mix that very well. Some of the newer Cramp songs are, are much easier to, to, to pick out the vocals. You think that was a choice in this, or do you think that was a budget issue in this?
1: Uh, it's hard to say. I, I, think, I think it was maybe a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. I think it was a budget thing, but I don't think they thought... It was a hindrance, right? Um, because yeah, like you said, what kind of profound meaning are you going to get from a song called "Bikini Girls with Machine Guns"? <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. Uh, "Creature from the Black Leather Lagoon" or what? You know, there's nothing to extract from that, and and you know, but it's the, the whole feeling of it. It's like the you know, Ivy's just that awesome like guitar sound that. that that rockabilly twang
0: that she had and, and just the swing. It pierces but, you know? like at, at times though. Like yeah. it's, it's not comfortable, especially when they have these long instrumentals. I mean, they will take the decimals on, on that, on some of that, that, that screeching guitar or that twang on the guitar. It it, it gets past the point of audible sweetness and it, <laughs> it, it, it it takes you back into the song it, if you get too comfortable because that rockabilly has a tendency to do that where it you, go, you know like you know and they they take it past the, the comfortable decimals at at a certain point the kind of like oh shit all right yeah it's cramps oh uh, you got me. back <laughs> in yeah it,
1: you know that it's it's I think that is definitely by design, just like I mean, you can even say Lux Interior does that just as a person. You know, you, you know, you can you
0: hear his vocals. Very B52s. And, and it's
1: it's almost it's got, like
0: rock lobster sometimes. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> but then you
1: you see the dude, especially when, you know, live. And he's a freaky looking guy, um, you know. He he looks pretty menacing now. And now you you put that in contrast with like we were talking about with like the makeshift uh, budget, sh- you know, schlocky image of their graphics and and the silly lyrics, and it's and it's this like Contrast. odd yeah, yeah. contradiction that that's that somehow works
0: yeah he, you know? he looks like an alice cooper but he sings like a wrinkle wrinkle uh, wrinkle casing you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> but
1: yeah that that's there's a lot of uh a lot of genius behind that
0: yeah so i think kind of looking at what we kind of talked about the kind of the takeaways for me are you know For this budget, especially with horror, that horror is a great place to cut your teeth in uh, because there's little expectations on quality. So it's a really great place to overproduce. Um, Two, if you're going to be working in this kind of budget artistic world, you have to have a positive attitude and you have to really love what you're doing. Um, Yeah. And then also, don't be afraid as they say in Ed Wood, like that's, it's your dream. Make it your dream. Don't let someone else come in with their money and turn it into their dream. Don't let someone come in and change your sound cramps. Don't let someone come in and, you know, um, well, we'll offer you to do this. Uh, but you got to make it this way, uh, make it your way and, and making it your way. It just takes a lot more hard work um but at the end whether you fail or succeed it will be your vision it will be your sound on there so that's what i think that i love about budget horror movies is it's usually one or two people's vision and so you're watching exactly what they wanted on screen maybe not maybe they they couldn't fulfill their the dream in their head because of budget but that's as close as they could get with what they were working with so you're seeing exactly what was what so, someone could do with with their idea
1: yeah it, it was uh unpolluted art to you know it like you said you know the cramps probably yeah they probably could have gotten bigger they probably could have played with you know bigger shows They could have probably who knows maybe been a household name eventually like like the ramones you know now every like you know, sixteen-year-old for some weird reasons wearing Ramon's t-shirts that could have been Cramps t-shirts, mm-hmm. but they chose not to. You know, they chose to be to to have their vision and, and, and that demands respect.
0: Well, we hope you guys enjoyed this first wave of the pop bonsai horror cast so actually that was really uh fun and we're gonna do our next episode we're keeping it october themed uh we start off with curse but i think we're doing straight up werewolf now i think we're doing straight up full full werewolf we're going full wolf baby (laughs) full wolf i think there's supposed to be like a full moon around the time we were recording and releasing that episode so it'll be it'll be it'll be hairy to say the least but (laughs) we're gonna be watching a i'm gonna tell you this right now jay here's a little preview I'm terrified. Okay. Were- I'm terrified of werewolves. I know they're <laughs> not real. I, I I got some werewolf stories as a kid that I'm going to tell you about. I'm terrified of them. I've only seen werewolf movies at slumber parties because I can't watch them on my own. And we're going to be watching American Werewolf in London. And I'm terrified. J- 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 <laughs> I'm aware this is a great movie. On other than lots of other reasons than the fact that it's scary and has a werewolf in it, so it's one of those movies like I should see this. This is a seminal pop culture work, but I've avoided it for so long because I know it's scary. I've seen pictures of the werewolf. It terrifies me. I'm not looking forward to watching this movie. I'm gonna. Oh, I'm gonna it's. You're I am. I'm, I'm gonna sit down and finally watch like the. The werewolf movie that I've been avoiding my whole life because of my own fears. So I'm gonna come back if so. I might be a little shaky, but we'll see if I can get through this whole thing. (laughs) And then we're gonna be doing uh, Ozzy Osbourne's album, Bark of the Moon. And then I'd like to, you know, I'd like to. To, to look at something that has a little bit of werewolf lore, maybe in literature or in myth. So I think there's a couple documentaries on there. So we'll pick one of those and we'll put that on our, our set list, which you can find at popbonsai.com. You can see the upcoming set list for the episodes. Uh, check that out. Uh, you can always go on to any of the podcast providers like Spotify or iTunes or Stitcher. And if you if we entertained you for an hour, Hour and a half, or 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 so, and you want to feel like writing us a review? Go ahead and write us a review. Go ahead and, head, head and rate us. It doesn't do anything Achoo. for our self esteem, but it helps other people search it out a little bit easier. If if it gets more reviews, it, it pops up in people's feeds, uh, and so if you enjoy it, and maybe other people can enjoy it too. Until then, bonsai bros and hoes. Oh sure. <laughs> I don't know. If that's okay. I mean, I, I don't know what else rhymes with bro. I'm sorry, hoes. Hose, my apologies, but you rhyme with bros. And bonsai goes well with bros, so you just got lumped in there. Sorry, bonsai, bros, and hoes. But we will catch you next pop wave. Bonsai!